If you have a Bible, you want to turn to Genesis chapter 1. That's the first page in the Bible that's in front of you in the pews. And we're going to take a look at that passage. But while you're turning to Genesis chapter 1, let me just say it's really good to be with you again. I hope you can remember that I've been with you before. I love your pastor. love your church. You do fantastic things. It's wonderful. Was that all I was supposed to say? Okay, good. That's everything I was supposed to say. And uh, I hope those of you who are visiting today know that the senior pastor of this church is off in India teaching over there. And it, that just illustrates the fact that this church is a church that's on a mission, has a dream, has a goal, that the senior pastor would leave the comforts of being here and go to a place like India voluntarily just to teach the Word of God to people. So if you're a visitor today, you need to know this is a church that's doing things. This is a church that's on the move, is headed somewhere. Genesis chapter 1, we'll begin in verse 26. Then God said... Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pause and turn to you now because we call no one our teacher but you. We trust no one the way we trust you. We lean on no one like we lean on you. We seek no one like we seek you. We come now, having heard these words that were written thousands and thousands of years ago, spoken even longer ago than that. And we come to you because we want to know how these words can teach us to live in our day. So we pray now that you will send Holy Spirit to us and that the Spirit will come and fill each heart in this room, making our eyes able to see, our ears able to hear you speak, softening our hearts that we may love you and serve you more faithfully because of this, your word. And as you do that, we pledge to you all the praise and all the honor for it. Amen. When I was about 10 years old, I had what I now look at as a privilege. I didn't look at it as a privilege when I was 10. But I spent an entire summer with my father adding a room to my parents' house. Now, at 10 years old, that was quite a challenge, I guess you can imagine. And we worked day and night on this thing for almost the entire summer. And I can remember that while we were working so hard, my mother basically had one role. She had one thing that she would always do. Every day she'd come out on her way to work and she would just say this to us, all I care is that it doesn't look like it was added to the house. So we worked very hard to make sure that the floors were even. We made sure that the brickwork matched just right. We made sure that the windows worked just right and that the pitch of the roof was perfect. Oh, all kinds of things. And, of course, she'd come home every evening and we'd want to show her all the things we had done. But all she would say is, I don't care. All I care is that it doesn't look like it was added to the house. 
Well, I hate to tell you this, but if you were to see my parents' home today, it would take you about two seconds before you would say, that room was added to the house. Because unless you're a master architect, a master builder, if you add a room to a house, it looks like it was added to the house. Now, in a situation like today, where we're talking together, there are people all over the map. Your lives are very different from each other. There are some people here who are not followers of Jesus. There are people here who are followers of Jesus and everywhere in between. But do you know what many of us are tempted every day of our lives to do? We're, we're tempted to take this thing called following Jesus and sort of add it as an extra room to our house. Now, you know what I mean by that, because most of us live as if the design of our lives and the purpose of our lives is to take care of, well, first me. And then if you're really a good person, you're also going to take care of your immediate family. And then if you're a super good person, you might even actually think about other people around you other than your nuclear family. But once you have all that straight, once you are happy with yourself, happy with the people around you, once your finances are straight for yourself, straight for your family, once your plans are straight for yourself, straight for your family and a few friends around you, then maybe, just maybe, it will be convenient to add religion to your life too. To add walking with Jesus to your life. To add doing the things that he values to your life. I mean, it's just natural. It's normal for all of us to think of life that way. But I want to tell you something. Living for the cause of Jesus was never designed to be an extra room that you add to your house. Instead, it was the original floor plan, the original plan for what it means to be a Christian. But even more than that, it's the original floor plan for what it means to be a human being. To be on a mission, to have a purpose in life that involves serving the cause that Jesus came to this earth to fulfill. Now, we can take a look at many places in the Bible to find this sort of original floor plan for your life and mine. But one of the best places to do that is in the first chapter of the Bible. (laughs) Because that first chapter of the Bible tells us what the original design was for you and me. And if we can take a look at that this morning and see what God expects our lives to be like, what direction is to take, what priorities is to have, what goal, what mission we're to be on as human beings, then perhaps we'll be able to align ourselves with that. And this extra room we've been adding won't be extra anymore. Now, the first thing I'm hoping we'll do from this passage is just to notice something very simple and straightforward, and it's this. What did God call you and me? What did he name us? (laughs) I stood up in front of a church one time Oh, maybe about 500 people or so. It was not a church like yours, and you'll know that in just a moment. Because I stood there and I said, I'm going to say two words to you, and I want you to shout back to me. You see, not like your church. I want you to shout back to me the first thing that comes to mind. Okay, so I stood there, and I just said this. Human beings. And do you know what they did? 
in unison, without one moment of hesitation, they shouted back at me, sinners! And I said, wow, isn't that something? The first thing that comes to our minds when we think of human beings is failures, washed out, losers, sinners. But as far as we know, the first thing that God ever said about you and me was not, hey, I got this great idea. Let's make some sinners. Let's make some losers. I mean, let's make them good at first and then they'll really mess things up. That's a great idea, isn't it? It's not what he said. As you read in verse 26, what God said was, let us make humanity in our image. In the image of God, he made them. Male and female, he made them. In his image, in his likeness. If you look at the Bible, what you'll discover is that the Bible describes us, you and me, as the image and the likeness of God. Now, hold on for a minute. If anybody in here thinks for a moment that I think that you and I are not sinners and not weak and not failing, then let me just tell you, we are. If you wonder whether you're a sinner, let me just tell you, all that means is that you're a little less than perfect. I mean, you don't have to be an axe murderer to be what the Bible calls a sinner. All you have to do is just not be quite perfect. And if you're not that, well, then you're a sinner. But do you know what makes... Your sin and my sin, our rebellion against God, our failure is so significant. It's the fact that we are also the image and the likeness of God. That's what makes it so significant that you and I have failed. In fact, that's why Jesus came to this earth. It wasn't because dogs and cats failed. It was because the image of God failed. Now, if you've been in church or if you've been around the Christian faith at all, then you've heard that we believe that people are the image and likeness of God. But, you know, that's one of those phrases, image of God, that, well, it's just one of those religious phrases that most of us have no idea what in the world it might mean. We know we're supposed to use it, so we do, but, you know, what's it mean to be the image of God? Well, to understand it, you have to get in a time machine with me. So get in, please. We're going to go way back, way back to the days of pyramids and ziggurats, the pharaohs and kings, you know, the days of Charlton Heston and Yul Brenner, those days. Okay, we're going back there now. And you need to know something that might surprise you. Israel, Moses, writing this book, they were not the only people who used the expression, the image of God, the likeness of the gods, the son of the gods, all of which were synonyms for them. They weren't the only ones doing that. The Egyptians used that phrase. The Babylonians used it. The Assyrians used it. The people of Canaan even used it. But as they used that expression, image and likeness of God, they used it as a reference to only one person in all of human society. Only one. Can you imagine who it was? Yep, it was Yul Brenner. It was the Pharaoh. It was the emperor, the king. Only the king could be called the image and the likeness of the gods. Everybody else was something much less than that. That's how they convinced them to build their pyramids and build their cities and be their slaves. They were less than the great king. And the reason that they called kings the image and the likeness of God was this. It was really very simple. It was the role that the politicians had. It's the same role they think they have today, in fact. And it's basically this. 
The king was expected to learn what the gods up in heaven wanted to happen and then to make it happen on this planet. They were to learn the will of God up in heaven and make it happen here. That's why they were called the image, the representative of God, the son of God, the likeness of God. Learn the will of heaven and make it happen on the earth. And now you can see just how crazy radical Moses was in his day. Because he's saying in this passage that it's not just the king who's the image of God. It's not just the Pharaoh who's the likeness of God. Every single one of us is the image and the likeness of God. And every single one of us was made for this purpose. To learn what God wants to happen and make it happen on the earth. Can you imagine how hard that was for former slaves, these Israelites who had been enslaved in Egypt, to believe that that was true for them? That they were as important as the Pharaoh? That they were as important as any king who had lived on this planet? Can you imagine how difficult it was for them to believe that? You can because it's difficult for you to believe too. Oh, I know. In our day, there are lots of people who walk around acting like they're all that. That they're something greater than everybody else. But you know as well as I do that a lot of that pride and arrogance is just bravado. It's just protest. It's a covering over this nagging suspicion that they're going to discover that they really aren't worth much at all. That life has no purpose, that life has no meaning, and so they beat their chest and act as if I know exactly what's going on in this world. And we think of those people as arrogant, but really deep inside they're in great pain because they have no reason for existence, no reason to think that they're worth anything at all. And they know that the day is coming when they can't escape that anymore, the day of their death. And it's coming soon. But most of us, if we can get past all that fake bravado, realize that, well, it's a hard thing for me to believe that I'm as important as a king. I mean, think about it this way. I don't care how you voted in the last presidential election. I really don't care. Because all of us will agree that this is true. President Obama is a very important man. Anybody disagree with that? Of course not. Why? Because if he decides we're turning this way, the whole course of human history goes that way. If he decides we're turning that way, the course of human history goes that way. I mean, he's an important person. And for this reason, we really don't want him to have a headache today. Can you imagine the decisions he would make if he had an aching migraine I mean, we don't want him to have a sinus infection. I mean, he might make the bad decision, the worst decision he's ever made if he had a sinus headache. We don't want him and the first lady having a big argument tonight. Can you imagine that? (laughs) They have this big argument and he says, oh yeah, you don't like that? Well, watch what happens when I hit this red button. And he pushes the button and the whole world goes up in nuclear holocaust. You really don't want that to happen, right? And why? Because he's important. But now think about you and your life. I mean, there are people here today sitting in this room who have headaches. We don't care. Some of you probably have a sinus infection. 
You think anybody's bothered by that? I mean, if you go home and have a big argument with your spouse, and if you can find a red button to push, nothing's going to happen. Of course, because you're nothing. You're worthless. You're not important. If you believe that about yourself, you are right where the evil one wants you to be. Because if you believe your life is unimportant, then you're going to believe your choices don't matter. You're going to believe the way you use your time doesn't matter. You're going to believe the way you use your money doesn't matter. You're going to believe that you can throw your life away and it won't make any difference at all. After all, who am I? I'm just a person. I'm just one of many, 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 many people out there. You'll be right where the evil one wants you to be. I have some good news for you. Every person in this room is the image and the likeness of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a redeemed image and likeness of God, made new like him. And you have been put in this world for a fantastic purpose. You know this is true because you've all heard the stories of the grandmother who did nothing but raise her orphaned grandson and he became a Christian and he did nothing but become a shoe salesman. But one day he happened to share his faith with one of his customers who then went home and told his next door neighbor about what the shoe salesman had said. And this next door neighbor believed in Jesus and became Billy Graham, the savior of the world. You know those kinds of stories. It happens all the time. So who in that chain of events do you want to say was unimportant? Do you want to say the grandmother was unimportant? Do you want to say the shoe salesman? That was a worthless life. Do you really want to say that the only person that had any value in that sequence of events was Billy Graham at the end of it all? Of course not. This is the way God has made the world. It's the original floor plan that he made for your life. You are a part of this magnificent plan that God has for his whole creation. And he's given you a place in it. And that place is as valuable and as, an impo- and as important as any king or queen or emperor or pharaoh that has ever lived on this planet. If you can believe that then perhaps you will begin to understand how wonderful it is that Jesus came to this planet for you. How wonderful it is to be a follower of Jesus. Because now your significance will actually be eternal. I like that idea. I like the fact that God calls you and me his image and his likeness. I love it because it actually makes me think in those times when I don't believe it. Well, maybe my life isn't a total waste. But you know, you can get a great job title and end up finding out that the job itself is horrible. I had one of those when I was a teenager. I was teaching guitar in a music studio and I needed a summer job, a full-time job. And I asked the owner of this small local music studio, I said, can I have a full-time job this summer? He said, well, yeah, I guess. And I said, well, what will be my title? 
what will be what will be my job? And he said, well, I don't know. Why not? Let's call you the assistant to the owner. I thought, wow, that'd be great. I knew what that meant. Every time he left the building, I'd get to sit in his chair, put my feet up on his desk like he did, and just boss people around. That's what a 17-year-old thinks when you become the assistant to the owner. But I discovered something. It was a great title, but what actually happened was my job was to do everything everybody else didn't want to do, including cleaning the toilets, including delivering pianos by myself up staircases. Remember that Laurel and Hardy clip where the piano's going down the stairs, falling to pieces? I've seen that happen. I was watching the one I was pushing up the stairs go down the stairs. It was a nightmare job. Great title, nightmare job. But I have some good news for you. It's not the way it is for you and me as human beings. The original floor plan for what it means to be a breathing, living human is a fantastic job. And God talks about it in verse 28. And God blessed them, blessed them, and said, be fruitful. Increase in number. Fill the earth. Subdue it. And have dominion over it. As the representatives of God, as people call to significance and importance on this planet, God says to his image, I want there to be lots of you. And I want you to subdue the earth and I want you to rule over the earth. I mean, when was the last time you thought about your life along those lines? You wonder why you are concerned about your life not making any sense? And the futility, this thing we call a rat race, this dog-eat-dog world. You wonder why you're having to characterize your life as that of a rat and that of a dog. It's because many times we don't even think about what God actually said we're supposed to be doing on this planet. So let's unpack it a little bit. God said, I want there to be lots of you, more and more and more and more of you. And in the beginning, of course, Adam, that would have meant that Adam and Eve would have babies and they would do the image of God thing and they would have babies and they would do the image of God thing and on and on it would go. They'd fill up the whole world with these images of God and history would reach its culmination. And then God said, I also want you to be having dominion over the earth. I want you to subdue everything. You see, we sometimes have a misimpression that at the beginning, the whole earth was a paradise. It wasn't. Only the Garden of Eden was a paradise. The rest of the earth had some work to be done on it. And God says, I want you to do the work out there. I want you to turn this whole planet into paradise. That's what I really want you to do. And do you know why? It's because the story of the Bible goes this way. In the beginning, God made the earth for a purpose. And the purpose was this. So that God would one day come to this planet and fill it with his radiant glory. Where he would then receive all praise and all honor endlessly. It's what the Bible calls the new heavens and the new earth. I mean, this planet was going to be so beautiful, so wonderful... That it would be appropriate for God to fill it with his glory so that it would be magnificently right for him to be honored and praised by every creature throughout the earth. That's what the Bible says is going to happen at the end when Jesus comes back. And here at the very beginning, God tells us how he's going to do it. 
God ordained that he would bring his goal into being through the human race. By the multiplying, by the subduing, by the dominion of people turning the world into his paradise. It's an amazing thing. And it would have gone so well if Adam and Eve had not turned from God. But you know what happened. It starts with an S, it ends with an N, and I'm right in the middle of it. Sin came into the world. Now, God didn't remove our job. It just became complicated. It didn't start our job. It just became complicated. It didn't start our mission. It just complicated our mission. Because now we don't just make babies who become wonderful images of God. We now, yeah, we make babies, but we have to train them in the ways of Christ. And yes, we reach out to our neighbors and to our friends and family members, seeking to bring them into Jesus and calling them to have faith in Jesus so that they can be made new and serve God in this world. We are not giving up on transforming the world. Instead, we are seeking to transform the world through the good news of Jesus, through ministries of mercy and ministries of justice and kindness to the world. We're still seeking, we're still seeking the day when Jesus returns and makes all things new for the honor and glory of God. I I can guarantee something today. If you knew that the governor of of Tennessee was coming to your home this afternoon to watch the Super Bowl game with you, I can guarantee you something. You would not be here today. Isn't that true? You know what you'd be doing. You'd be getting your house ready. Because you know that your house is not ready for the governor to come and visit. So you'd be buying all the furniture you wanted to buy for the last five years. You'd be manicuring your lawn. You'd be getting that big screen TV, the 30-footer that you've been hoping to get so he could watch it in style. If the governor were coming, you'd be busy getting your house ready. I have some great news for you. The king of the universe is coming to this earth. Time to get busy. It's time to get ready. It's time to prepare the way. You ever wonder why you breathe? Sometimes I think I'm the only person in the world who gets up in the morning and says, is it worth breathing again? I do that almost every morning. Most of us keep breathing because we're afraid of the alternative. I'm not afraid of the alternative. So I often do ask myself, is it really worth it? The answer is yes. Because you're the image and the likeness of God, ordained to turn this world into the kingdom of God. So how are we doing? Adam and Eve, how did they do? Not so well, frankly. When that was passed on then to Israel, how did they do? Well, they did pretty well for a while, but even they ended up on the rocks. Failure, failure, failure. How are you doing, you followers of Jesus? Would you say you're a great success at this? Well, we're doing some things that are good, but you know, we're not really doing all that well, frankly. And that's why the Bible constantly reminds us that the people who want to serve God were looking for someone. Looking for someone who did it right. 
I mean, looking for someone who was the image and the likeness of God, who would actually succeed in filling it up with redeemed images of God and having dominion over the entire planet to turn this planet into the palace of God himself. Throughout history, people have been looking for this kind of man. Who could do such a thing? Well, here's the wonderful news. There was a man who did it. And his name was Jesus. I'm often asked to sit on a panel at colleges and universities around the country. And they are these religious panels where you're discussing religion in front of the whole student body, that kind of thing. And often they are what they call trialogues. And so there's a rabbi and there's a Muslim imam and me. I mean, it sounds like a joke, I know. You've heard the one about the rabbi, the imam, and the Presbyterian preacher. That's what it's like. Okay, so we're all sitting up there. And I remember the first time this ever happened. I had no clue what was going to happen. But the moderator looked at the three of us without any warning and said, we're going to start this way. Each of you gets one minute to say what's different about your religion. What makes your religion different from the other two? Richard, you're first. One minute to say what makes my religion different from Judaism and from Islam. I didn't know what in the world to say. I had to stand up though. I stood up and walked over to the podium and I whispered, Jesus, help me, please. And I guess he did because I like what came out of my mouth. I didn't plan it, but I like what came out. This is what I looked at them and said. What makes my religion different from the others is this. Jesus. And then I explained to them that God first put human beings on this planet to turn this planet into his glorious kingdom. And we have failed and failed and failed and failed. But there was one who lived life so perfectly. There was one who pleased God so much. In fact, he lived so wonderfully that he actually died in the place of people like you and me who don't do so well. And then on the third day, This Jesus received his just reward for his righteous life. He was resurrected from the dead and he ascended into heaven where he sits on the throne of his father David and he rules over everything until all of his enemies are put under his feet and until he comes back one day and makes everything new and welcomes the father. And this Jesus is so magnificent that he will turn on that day to all who follow him. And he'll say, look, all of this new creation, it belongs to me. But because you're my followers, because you have trusted me, it also belongs to you. And we will glorify God and enjoy him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. That's what makes our religion different from all the others. It's Jesus. That's why we trust him. He was that good. That's why we hope in him. He was that great. That's why we put all of our chips on him. That's why we put all our eggs in that one basket. That's why we serve him like we are mad about him. Because we are. 
He was that wonderful. And do you remember that Jesus spoke about this original floor plan at the end of his life? He actually refers back to Genesis chapter 1. You've heard it before. It's in Matthew chapter 28. We often call it the Great Commission. But do you remember what Jesus said before he gave that Great Commission? This is what he did. He looked at his disciples and said this. Guys, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. (laughs) Do you know what that means? He was looking at them and saying this. I'm all that. I did it. I did it so well that God the Father has given me all authority in heaven above and on earth below. Now you might expect Jesus to have then said, now look, because I'm all that, because I'm really that good, you just sit back and watch what I'm going to do. Take it easy. Watch. Because it's all up to me anyway. You just observe how I'm going to take this world and turn it into the kingdom of God. But he didn't. This is what he did. He looked at his disciples and reminded them of Genesis chapter 1. And he said this to them. You have the greatest privilege that any human being could possibly imagine having. I'm going to accomplish this goal. But you get to participate with me. Go, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and I, Jesus, will be with you right up to the end. What more could you possibly want than to have the privilege of sharing In a mission that is sure to win. I think you all understand what my mother wanted. We were building that room on the house and she just wanted it to look like it was a part of the original floor plan. When God tells you and me about the original floor plan of our lives. This is what he says. You're my image. I've given you this unbelievable job. I even sent my son so that you can be sure you're going to win. Now, take it up and go on this mission with him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we bless you. We bless you because you came and did what we cannot do. We bless you that as the wonderful image and likeness of God, you took on the task that we could not fulfill. We honor you that the victory is sure because you did it so well and that you will come back one day and make this whole world new. And now what we need is for Holy Spirit to convince us that this is true. To write these words deep within our hearts. To change us. To empower us. To embrace this mission. Lord Jesus, we need you to make us like you. 
Amen.